Hello, everybody. This is Benjamin Kitchings of the History Voyager. I'm here with Adam from Slovakia. Slovakia. <laughs> Last time you got it wrong. Last time you yeah, said Slovenia. There was, okay, for those of you who, all of you don't know this, there was a podcast we recorded last weekend that didn't happen because one of the tracks didn't record or didn't download. So that went into Never Neverland. And so we're going to talk about, first we're going to talk about COVID. So let's talk about uh, COVID first off. So you were talking off air about uh, Slovakia and COVID. Yeah. Well, what happened, Ben, was that I am from Slovakia, which is in the center of Europe. But I actually, a year ago, I was still working in Spain. Okay, I work as a mobile game developer. We develop mobile games. And, you know, back then when COVID started, and I think like February, March was around when the first wave hit, Spain was hit the hardest. And... Nobody knew what was going to happen, right? And what I was trying to go home because obviously we were working from home at that time. So I wanted to be with my family. But I was, you know, locked in Spain. It was very, it was impossible to travel. And finally, in May, I managed to return to my country. And lo and behold, there was no COVID here in Slovakia. And that was kind of funny because, well, basically what happened was that when we had like the first infected person in Slovakia, it may have been, I don't know, March, I would say, the country locked down completely. Like there was a proper lockdown for like two weeks or so. And everybody followed the rules to the T. Like people didn't go out. You know, everybody wore a mask and people were freaked out. So what happened was that we had like like a dozen infected people a day. Right. And basically it went away. And like when the world was still struggling with the first wave in Slovakia, everything was working perfectly. Like we had a great summer here. And what happened was that there was kind of like the atmosphere was a little bit like, like loose in uh, the summertime and people were going to vacations and especially going to Croatia, which is a very popular uh, destination for people to go to. So obviously after summer, the, the numbers of, of infected people started to rise. And then we saw, we saw these numbers rise, I think it was like September, October, and the government said, okay, we need to start raising these measures again, but people didn't follow them. And, you know, right now, I mean, what triggered this discussion, Ben, just to refresh it for, the, for your listeners, was that Slovakia right now has the highest death per people in the hospital ratio in the world. And I, I think that's like super ironic considering like we managed the first wave like amazingly well. So this is, you know, and this is kind of what's happening right now. Like people are resisting like the scientific news, the, you know, the scientific approach and they're, you know what I'm talking about? Like they like to see this conspiracy behind it, and but they didn't see it during the first wave. Everybody was freaked out, yeah, because it was something brand new. 
But since we didn't have this experience of the first wave, I think people just get too comfortable. And they, like in the beginning, they were even saying like the COVID doesn't exist. Okay. And what's even worse is that it's not just, you know, your average Joe saying this. It was some of the politicians saying this. Isn't that just messed up? Well, I think you had said earlier in the in our previous podcast that that you had lived in Florida, uh, in the U.S. So I'm here to tell you that happens in this country all the time. I mean, that happens in this country too. You, you have politicians in this country that, um, not so much now, but previously they they didn't think it or they would say that oh well covid's not real you know so that's interesting that our countries are sort of twinned in that way um i think this is happening globally i think this is true in every country um you have like this you know the the politicians who see an opportunity to you know grab some free votes here by you know by going with the vox populi you know saying the COVID isn't real, don't follow the rules, don't follow. And it's, if you notice, it's usually the politicians in the opposition, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about, like those who like, didn't... Yeah, yeah, like, right. So, I mean, it's, a, you know, I don't... It's a cheap shot, if you ask me. I don't like... I mean, obviously, I'm a, I'm a citizen, so I'm not a politician. But it, this, is a this is a very dangerous ground that we are treading on. It, it is. It's it's very dangerous ground to use your own term. Um so okay. So let's let's return to the, the, the narrative here. So the first you say in like the first wave of COVID was like people were um like they were paying attention, they were trying to stay out of it. And then I think we you might have said this during the recording, but you told me uh, basically before the recording that there was the summer in Croatia, right? And that's when the floodgates opened. That's when the COVID sort of floodgates opened. Yeah, uh, this was definitely one of the reasons for that. Because before, you know, borders were closed. And if you wanted to travel, you needed like a special permit like showing that you're either studying abroad or you're working abroad. And that had to be like a legitimate reason. Um, and obviously that was before. And after the like situation loosened up a little bit and the borders were open again, that definitely added, you know, to the second wave. Obviously the second wave would have come in one way or another anyway, because that was like expected. It was forecasted. But in Central Europe here where I'm from, a lot of these countries are having a really, really hard time bringing it down. It's, I mean, in Slovakia, we pretty much, we are failing big time, actually. Like we are making headlines and not the good kind of headlines. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And you, you said like people haven't heard of your country. Well, I mean, I follow hockey, so I've heard of your country. Um, I think I forget the Yarmir Yager is not from there, but somebody's from there. No, Yager is from. Yeah, uh, we have a couple. Um, uh, we have a lot of good hockey players. They're usually in the you know drafted uh, to the NHL. Right. 
there was a hockey player uh, back when I was a lot younger that was from there, and I can't remember his name right now, and I'm trying to remember. But anyway, that's why I've heard of your country. So why don't you sort of set the geography to where Slovakia is? Like what, okay, what Cold War era place was it a part of? Let's start there. Well, we were right behind the Iron Curtain on the eastern side. Uh-huh. Uh, and when I say border, I mean it because we were bordering Austria. And actually, I can see Austria from my balcony, uh, from my house. So, like, it's very close. Yeah, yeah but that's it. Um, yeah, we were, it's uh, all historical. But, you know, after the Second World War, we were liberated by the Soviets, by the Wait, Russians. Yep. You were liberated. Oh, okay. After the Second World War. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. And yeah, then the communists won in the in the elections, and yeah, we 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 became a part of the Eastern Bloc, and that dissipated in 1989. We became a democracy, and we were back then. We were still Czechoslovakia, so those that was one country, and then in 1993. We split up. It was the Velvet Revolution. It was no blood spilled. It was a very peaceful splitting up. Okay. Okay. So you were okay. You were part of Czechoslovakia back then. Yes. Okay. Okay. I thought that. I thought that was right, but I wasn't sure. Um, <laughs> right. Um, okay. So you said you're you're leading in deaths per. Okay, what was the ma- deaths per hospital hospitalization? Yeah, yeah death deaths per hospitalization. Okay, okay, um, and you're saying like now there's people and they don't they don't believe it's real they don't. Uh, like, well, is that is that mainly you think is that a rural thing or is it an urban thing? I'm trying to see what the divide is. Is it an urban thing, rural thing? What is it? It's very difficult to say. Um, obviously, I'm just stating my opinions here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. It's very difficult, like to kind of cover it. You know, uh, I don't know. Hmm. Let me think here for a second. Okay. I can't give you an answer. It's like hard to say. Um. I would say it's people who maybe can't comprehend the amount of changes that had that had happened the last year. Um, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, right? Like, I was speaking to a friend of mine. She works in HR, and in Slovakia, we have mandatory testing every week. You have to go get tested. It's covered by the by the state, but you need to get tested. And people are opposing that as well. I mean, you had like, obviously, this is a very small minority, but people were claiming like, like they're inserting nano nano chips into our brains via this testing. Like, this is it. Like, this is, you know, the Illuminati taking over and they're, you know, putting chips inside our brains. And she told me, this lady that, that she works in HR, that they had an incident in their company, because some industries still need to go to work, like the 
most people work from home, but there's just some industries that you need to go, right? Like to a factory or something. And she told me that there was an incident when people were supposed to get tested in their factory. Like one person assaulted the nurse. Like he thought he was being forced and he didn't want to undergo that. And he like pushed her, shoved her. She fell. And yeah. So I don't I think, you know, my personal opinion is that the role of the government nowadays is much more pronounced than before. And I think this is, you know, a general fact that people hate authorities, right? That's the history yeah. of the state balancing the liberties of the population of the of its uh, the liberties of the citizens with the powers of the state. And in general, people want to remain free, and they want as as little state authority feeling they what they want to feel as little state authority as possible. So in the last it's year. It's funny yeah. that you say that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. It's funny that you say that because we're having that same conversation in America. Like, we're having that same conversation here. That there's just some people who just don't want the government to tell them what to do, even if what to do is the right thing to do. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, I, re I, I understand that. Um, nobody likes to be told what to do. Um, if you don't, you know, and you know how it is, especially if you don't agree with the opinion and let's not get into whether it's right or wrong, right? Yeah. The thing is that uh, in this specific case, uh, your unwillingness to, let's, let's say, get tested or, you know, follow the measures, if you want to endanger yourself, let's say that's your right. But if you're endangering others, you know, and especially the vulnerable ones, like elderly people and, or people with autoimmunity, you know, a suppressed autoimmunity or something like that, they may die. So in this case, your decision is endangering them. And, and I believe, my personal opinion, but I believe it's completely right for the state to step in. Yeah. Okay. On the other hand, just to finish the thought here, I think this is global. I think... You know, I think it's happening in one way or another in a lot of the countries globally. And this is, you know, the fundamental principle of most states, right? Like people want to be free and they don't want the state authority breathing on their necks. So, yeah, it, it seems like, you know, what's happening in the states is definitely happening here. That's interesting. Um so you said you work in mobile and so talk to me about um i guess like the state of of mobile uh technology mobile computing uh that kind of thing uh right now okay well as you can imagine the mobile game industry has risen considerably uh, in the last year. A lot of people were, you know, had a lot of, let's say, more free time than usual, so they spent a lot of time playing mobile games, which is where I work, by the way. I, I work in mobile games. So, I mean, it's a, it's a good era for the industry. I think a lot of, com in, in this industry, people nowadays work a lot, uh, but... It has to be said, you know, also that it's quite a saturated industry. I It depends, but in generally, mobile games are easier to develop and can be, you know, published quite quickly. So the competition is quite high. 
But in general, I'm sorry, I don't have the figures with me right now. But if you put it into Google, like the revenue, the revenues and profits of like the big companies that publish mobile games has risen incrementally. Like it's it, it I think it was like twenty percent higher year to year or something like that. I may be wrong, but it it was like not not a, not not a small figure. Okay, I'm actually googling it. Uh, okay, so okay, mobile game revenue jumped twenty seven percent year over year uh, to nineteen point three billion in Q two twenty twenty. Uh, wow. It experienced a, a further rise of 10.3% quarter on quarter as Q1 2020 hit, uh, 17.5 billion. And it, wow, geez, that's a serious, that's a really serious chunk of change. Uh, yeah. And I, do, do you play video games, Ben? Uh, I, I, I have in the past. I don't tend to do that these days but okay um, well generally speaking uh gamers don't really like mobile games i mean like proper gamers you know like pc or console but people don't realize how large the mobile market the mobile game market is it's huge it's massive yeah it's massive you know with a google play or you know apple store you can you have like a channel you can reach out you know you can reach every single person in this world practically is that the channel is crazy is that kind of like uh i forget the numbers but um have you ever heard of the band uh what are they called um i can see them i can see this band right now um nickelback have you ever heard of the band nickelback unfortunately i have not a big fan (laughs) well okay here's the okay i'm i don't care one way or the other about the whole endless nickelback debate but one of the things that i find fascinating about nickelback is you can find a gazillion you can find a ton of people who say they hate nickelback okay you can find way more nickelback haters than you can find nickelback fans okay well, when you actually crack under the hood, all right, when you actually look at the numbers, Nickelback sells a whole lot of music. You know, <laughs> more, more mu- they, they really do. And they sell their concerts are like they sell out big arenas all the time. And so the thought is like, is this the guilty pleasure? So I guess what I'm asking is, are mobile games the guilty pleasure of gamers? I don't think so, personally. I think uh, your traditional gamer, and I'm going to, you know, stereotype here a little bit, but like the traditional gamer wants the AAA experience. He cares about graphics. He wants, you know, super immersive experience, right? They love to rig their PCs, you know, just pimp them out and all that. Whereas, obviously, our mobile phones, I mean, no matter how advanced they are, they cannot, you know... Be, uh, you yeah. can't even compare them, but I don't think they should. Uh, you know, mobile games on uh, well on our cell phones are completely different type of experience. And I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense because most of these games use the free to play model, right? So you can download them for free, and usually 
you have to pay back somehow. Now, whether it's via you know paying for in-app purchases or watching ads, it's just a different kind of experience. Now, in a traditional video game, you're buying a product. So you pay 50 bucks and you get the video game, right? Whereas the way to think about mobile games, that's the way I see it, is more like you're paying for a service. Like you get, you get to download it for free. And then if you like it, you can invest into a little bit to improve your experience. That's the way I see it, at least. Okay, okay. Um, so, so you're saying it's a, it's a, it's two different kinds of people, basically. You, your gamer and your your non gamer type person. Um, I would not say that that uh, people who like mobile games are not gamers. I think they are. It's just that they are looking for a different type of experience than the traditional gamer is. All right. What but, kind of experience are they looking for? Wow. Well, it, that, that that really depends. Uh, but it can be, for example, uh, um, an experience that is shorter. So, you know, a lot of people like to play shorter sessions on mobile games, right? I think it can be also much more convenient because it's easier to play and chat with your friends holding a phone, right? Uh, and it okay. really depends. Maybe also they prefer a more simpler, more simple uh, gameplay, something that isn't as mentally challenging. Uh, I also think that mobile games are much easier to connect with social uh, social media and and such, like Facebook, you know. It really depends. Uh, I think there is a whole plethora of you know personas that we could try to identify here, but there is a trend that I think is going to be growing this year and and forward. That the AAA experience is slowly emerging on mobile phone, and that's so cool. Uh, there is this you, game you, called Genshin Impact. That, yeah. You said that uh, twice now. Tell me what the AAA experience is. Well, the triple experience is the the let's say the best one you can get, and I like I say it usually entails uh, high end graphics, right? Uh, okay. It can be uh, and what's the word I'm looking for? Emerging story, storyline, right? Okay. Some kind of competitive multiplayer, okay, and. I was just going to say that there is this game called Genshin Impact, which was released on, I don't remember which console, but also on mobile phones. And that is just a technical marvel. And it's actually free to download if people want to check it out. It's a technical marvel. And let's see how it, you know, let's see how it performs. It's, it's performing, monetizing really well so far on the mobile platforms. So it's going to be interesting if if other studios pick up on it and decide to develop more games like this because you have to understand that to develop a game of this magnitude and publish it on mobile phones, that takes a lot of time and money. And you can't be sure if it's going to pay itself back. Yeah. So um, the dominant platform for mobile gaming is Apple, right? Is iOS. Or is well, it... The, um, that is difficult to say. I think there is more people on Android because Android is um, uh, more used uh, globally. But I think um, in terms of quality of users, uh, Apple would have higher. Okay. 
You mean quality? You mean well, uh, yeah? That I, I think that's an industry income. term. You mean income or? or yeah, like the way the, they perform. The, yeah, yeah, the the way they perform. Um, last time, unfortunately, didn't get recorded, but we were speaking about uh, KPIs, which are key performance indicators, and you're tracking, right? And you can split this on the platform, and if you compare an Apple user with a Android user, also depending on which demographics you're checking, but uh, Apple users tend to perform better. Okay, tell tell us what a KPI is first off. Okay, a KPI is basically uh, some kind of a metric that tells you how your app or game is performing. There is a whole plethora of them, uh, and you need to know which ones to check out and track. But to give you an example, one of the most basic KPIs would be daily active users. That means how many unique users log into your game per day, okay? And then you can go further. You can, you can check, for example, RPU, which would be average revenue per user, okay? So if, um, let's say your game makes uh, 100 bucks a day and you had 100 DAUs, your RPU would be $1, right? And it can that it can be that just one of those users, one of those hundred users, paid one hundred bucks in your game. It's gonna be when you divide it, that daily revenue by the amount of users, it's gonna come out as one dollar per user. Then one of the ones that uh, the one of the most you know track KPIs is what we call a conversion rate. So what amount of players from my daily active users, for example? start paying for something in my game can be three percent for example so there's a whole plethora of them and you need to know which questions to ask so you know which kpis to check okay so what kpis are the most important from a developer standpoint well again it depends how you look at it uh one of the key ones would be what we call ltv which is lifetime value and that basically just says in a certain um, a period of time or in the user's lifetime, it can be as well, what is the expected amount of uh, income this player will bring me? So if I know that, for example, on average, a user stays in my application or game for 60 days, then his LTV depends on the, the way we, the calculation method we use. We'll know that, okay, his LTV is, I'll make it up 45 cents. And we can say that a LTV of an average user would be 45 cents. And then we can check Android users, Apple users, and, you know, we can start going deeper and deeper. That would be one. Retention is the other one. It basically just means uh, what percentage of users keeps coming uh, on a weekly or monthly basis. So you can check retention, D1, D3, D stands for day, and D7, D30. And that basically means how useful do these users find your product? If they keep returning, uh, they find it useful or, or fun, at least. Did um, I think you just said it. Did you say the lifetime of a game was uh, basically 60 days? Uh, no, uh, the LTV is the okay. amount a user brings in his lifetime. So 
after he stops using the application, I made an example, but it could be 60 days, it could be, you know, 30 days. If you have a, you know, really bad app, it might be even lower, right? But when we're checking, like, LTV would mean just what, what is the total amount an average user tends to bring in a period of time. So it could be, let's say, LTV 30. That would mean how much the, how much income does an average user bring in 30 days. Or you could even use the average lifetime of a user. And on average, that could be, that, that depends. It could be 30 days, 60 days. So did I make it clear or am I confusing you? <laughs> no, you made it clear. I thought back there you had said somewhere that, um, like, okay, let me ask, let me ask it this way. What is the, if I make a game, say I'm a developer and I make a game that that is that is not bad it's not terrible okay it's not a classic it's not going to be this classic game though it's not going to be kind of an instant classic or or something that uh that i should expect people are going to be talking about fondly you know 10 years from now right Mm -hmm. um but it's not again like it's not terrible okay it's it's not awful but it's good, but it's not um, amazing. All right. How long would that game last in the marketplace? I think it's impossible to generalize. Um, the mobile game market is one of the most, like the quick, it's the quickest changing one. Okay. And that yeah. also, uh, to answer your question or give kind of an answer, it also depends on your monetization model. Okay. No, okay. there may be games that indeed, I mean, everybody wants to be on the market as long as possible, but it's not as easy as that. I mean, you have to consider that a massive part of the mobile game industry is user acquisition. Okay. That means that, you know, users are, if I put it in uh, for lack of a better term, new users, game. is that, is that new, like new users, new, new, uh, users, new players? But yeah. yeah, but those are actually purchased. Like you do, you use ad targeting and you're tar- trying to target the right type of user to go into your game because obviously you want to show your ads to the users who are most likely to find your game useful and who are most likely to spend in your game. Okay. okay? And just, to, just to finish the thought here, and, you know, the market is finite, so eventually you're going to run out of users to target. And then there's a second part to, to the argument that going back to the point of the monetization model, there is some games who are launched, who are quickly produced, and they expect to be on the market for 30 days. I mean, that's like, that. this happens. So the idea is to produce quickly, release it on the market, monetize as fast as possible, and then just keep pushing more and more games like this. So it really depends. Um yeah okay right. um okay so the more you talk to me about about mobile gaming and this it sounds more like a, a vehicle for advertisers to to sell products sort of similar to uh like television or radio or something like that uh, it's marketing is a massive part of it Knowing, and the funny thing is, and I think if you haven't heard about it, this this will like, you know, surprise you, I suppose. 
But the way it works now is that you make a product. And when I talk about a product, you make a, a mobile game. And you should know like wh wh which market segment you're targeting. And marketing is a big part of it because some market segments are more expensive than others. That's a constantly evolving, um, those are constantly evolving metrics. Okay, so there's this metric that is called CPI, which is cost per install. Okay, that just means that what percentage of users, uh, uh, sorry, let me back up here. It just means how much does it cost on average to purchase a user? It's going to be, you know, from a couple of cents to some dollars, let's say. Okay, now that has to be profitable. So if I'm buying a user for 50 cents, unless his LTV is 51 cents, I'm not profitable. You know what I mean? So that's one thing. But the funny thing is that the way it works is that you develop your game and then you look for the users, which might be relevant. But Apple is introducing a game changer this year. And it's called the IDFA. And what that means is that when Apple users uh, log into their phones, they'll have they'll be asked if they want to turn off this like ad tracking or market mark like this like ad tracking off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And what will happen basically is that mobile game companies or advertising companies will not be able to target them. Now, funny enough. It's this this option already exists apparently, so but it's hidden somewhere in the settings, so almost almost nobody knows about it. But if you Google it, like Google IDFA, there's tons of mar there's tons of articles on what's going to happen with the market, and this is going to be a complete game changer this year. This is going to change the mobile game industry, and it's going to shake it to like to uh, to to its core. Is it going to change it in a good way or, a, or a, I mean, in a, I guess the way you say it, it's going to change it in a negative way from the standpoint of profitability. Um, I mean, okay. I, I was just recording. I was doing an interview. Uh, I was on another podcast for mobile, about mobile games and they asked the same question a week ago anyway. And the answer was that, well, it's going to be hard. Uh, I guess nobody like the marketing people don't probably want this to happen, but I think it's going to be good in the way that it's going to, you know, push the industry in a new direction and they'll have to find new ways to reach their audience. And that's exactly what I was trying to uh, get to is that nowadays you make a product and then you look for the audience. But I think, and th this is like a prognosis, this doesn't come, this is not my idea, but it's something I read in an article. That is that uh, we will probably mobile games will probably have to revert to some of the old product marketing strategies, where you know they used to, you know used to used to show your uh, product on TV or in the cinema or something like that. Like you couldn't target the right user for your game. You know you had to I reach remember, a audience. I remember before the pandemic, uh, going to theaters and even seeing mobile ads on TV, mobile gaming ads on, on television. Of course, in this country, um, we watch, some of us watch TV over the internet and I'm one of those people. So maybe I see different ads from, from certain other people. 
Um, I have seen ads for mobile games on my television. Okay. So, but you're saying, but then again, I live in a major city and like that. So you're Um, saying that that's going to continue? Well, what I'm saying is not necessarily that that's going to be the only channel. But, and this is maybe the challenge, and I see it as a possibly a good thing, is that advertisers will have to look, and mobile game companies will have to look for a new channel, how to obtain relevant users, you know? And if, I mean, I think this is a super interesting topic, and I'm not a marketing guy myself, so I, like, just, you know, touch this topic at its surface. But it's going to be think I think it's a very interesting. I tell you one of the things I I love about my podcast is I would not have known that there was this much fascinating stuff to know about mobile gaming without this podcast, right? I'm learning. I feel like I'm learning more than anybody else just by talking to people. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this is what I was trying to say is that I think the mobile games are super cool and it's a super interesting industry and the general population probably doesn't know how much science and how much money is worth i mean you can find in this industry it's so fascinating and it's growing year to year it's growing it's it's absolutely crazy exactly um and i mean we just went over the the statistics a little while ago but um Okay, you said the science behind mobile gaming. Let me ask you a question. Let me let me get you to think outside the box here, uh, so to speak. Um, down the road, where do you see other applications for this mobile gaming technology situation? Uh, sorry, can you repeat the question? Are you asking about mobile games okay. specifically or apps in general? So mobile gaming is the most intensive, uh, like the most intensive uses for a smartphone or like mobile gaming or mm-hmm. certain applications on Instagram or yeah. things like that. So where do you see other uses for this technology going in the future? Okay. Well, I think Clubhouse is a great example. I think... With applications, okay. yeah. All right. Go ahead. Let me stop you. I know what Clubhouse is because I've talked to people who, who use it. Okay. Why don't you explain to the listeners of this episode what Clubhouse is? Okay. Well, let me start with a caveat that I'm like the worst person to answer this question because I literally get Clubhouse a week ago. And I got it probably... Out of curiosity, because there is all this talk about this awesome new social media application called Clubhouse. So I borrowed my friend's old iPhone that he wasn't using because it's iPhone only. He sent me an invitation because it's invite only. And what it really is, is basically it's a social, it's a social media that is audio based. So there is no status sharing, there is no photo sharing, um, there is no other interaction besides talking. It's basically, when you at its essence, it's just various rooms where you have a stage 
and there's a moderator and he can invite people on to, to virtually go on stage to, you know, discuss a topic. That's what it really is. Um, I think the reason, one of the reasons why it's so popular is because during this pandemic, people are lacking this kind of, you know, a place to vent, a place to interact, a place to engage, a place to talk. And from my perspective, this meets, the, this application meets this need perfectly well. So it's kind of like an interactive podcast, if you will. So that's what it, that's what it is. On, on the other hand, it's also like kind of lucrative, like it's invite only. So it definitely yeah. adds to the marketing value, but yeah, it's quite simple actually. Yeah. From, uh, from, it was described to me by a very early user. Whew. Let me just bear with me. Cause I've got just so happen to have my podcast page up. Right. Um, and I can tell you, because his podcast was released the very day we did it, right? And it was on January 20th or 21st. So, and I think he said that it had only been out for a few weeks at that point. So this, this wow. from, what I, from what I understand, um, this is a very new app. Uh, it might be eight weeks old. Um, and it has, I mean, I, I keep up with the internet privacy press, so it has some, uh, privacy, uh, serious privacy concerns, uh, that are, that are very, very serious, but it, if they can somehow get those squared away to use an American idiom, uh, it seems like this is going to be a, an amazing app because the way he described it was, it was like podcasting, but live, like you could just have a talk with just people and they could interact with you. And it just sounded amazing to me. That's pretty much what it is. Uh, for example, I myself, I'm also interested in podcasting. So I started following some people who, you know, are in rooms about podcasting and it's so surreal. I mean, sometimes there's like high profile podcasters on there and, you know, all you have to do, uh, I mean, if you're like a, the average audience, you cannot speak, you're not on the stage, you're like in the audience, but there's like a button that tells you, raise your hand, you raise your hand and they can select you, you go on stage and you can ask them about, you know, about podcasting, they're going to give you tips and the secondary effect, which I didn't know about, and this is like the most obvious thing that I'm noticing right now, is the networking. Like once you're in stage, you're, you're going to start getting followers. People are going to start following your Instagram. They're going to start following your podcast. So that's why I think this is so this is going to be the next big thing. It's like the, it's, it's the next logical step in this era of social media that we are living, right? Um are you an uh, Apple or an Android user, Ben? I'm an Android user. I have a, a Pixel 3a that okay. I really like. Okay. Well, I think, uh, I mean, they already said that they'll develop this application of and they'll release it for Android uh, sometimes in the future. So for you as a podcaster, for example, it's going to be a great channel 
to you know either sync up with other podcasters or obtain new audience. It's it's quite as, fun actually. Right, exactly. As soon as he even told me what it was, um, I, that's immediately where my mind went. Like that's immediately what I was thinking about was like, oh my god, the power of that app. Like uh, the, the way you can, as long as you can speak the same language, right, and you can understand each other. The the, your audience would just grow exponentially i would i would think yeah absolutely and like the podcasting community specifically is quite large there i mean i guess this is going to be part where the security reason concerns may come from but obviously they have a pretty solid algorithm at figuring out what you're interested in yeah and when they find out that you're interested in podcasting you'll start getting a lot of podcasting rooms being suggested to you well i i've read some things i don't want to i don't want to alarm anybody but i've read some things about uh what this company does like some of the permissions they have with your microphones and your phone or things like that so that's Mm -hmm. that's what i'm thinking about but i mean if they can if they can uh figure those out or whatever. I mean, I think this could be this just amazing. It's it's the next big thing. I think it's the next big thing because it the way I see it is that it ties all the other social media kind of together because once you're there, people are going to start following you in all the other channels. Or I mean, if you present yourself well. It's like the networking app. Think of it that way. Like you get exposure to so many thousands of people. There is rooms with thousands and thousands of people. So if you get to speak there, there you go. We're talking eight weeks, ten weeks, thousands. Think about millions. Think about a year from now with millions. or Well, that's what's going to happen. That's definitely what's going to happen because right now it's it's only on Apple. It's only on iOS, right? When they start releasing on other platforms, and Android obviously being the biggest one, their population is going to explode, especially because of this hype that has recently been created about this app. Yeah. Like it's limited and you have to be invited there. So once they open their gates, it's going to be nuts. You'll see. Well, yeah. Like I remember, uh, like I remember when Facebook was new, um, I was able to get on Facebook pretty early um, because of my college um, you know, and of course, once you bring something like that wide, I mean, once you bring Clubhouse wide, you might get into some quality control issues for sure, but that's going to be a big, big stage. I mean, a big, big, big stage um, for an awful lot of people. Um, so before we go into the other topic that I wanted to talk with you on, um, do you have anything else to say about mobile applications and mobile gaming, etc.? Mm, not really. I think we, I hope you edit this uh, this part out. But no, I think we can move on to another topic. Uh, sorry, Ben. I have about ten more minutes. Um, then All I'm right. actually no, no, recording no. another episode of my podcast. That's so that's fine. That's fine. All right. So let's just briefly touch on metal for a few minutes. <laughs> um, I just 
<laughs> Got to talk to you about metal. Yeah. Uh, we're both <laughs> big metal fans, people. Big metal fans, us. Yes, uh, we are. <laughs> so you're more uh, Iron Maiden? Uh, man, I just love metal in general. Yeah. And like tying this topic with the Clubhouse topic... I've been trying to create a heavy metal room there for ages, and it's just not the right demographic. You know, metalheads are not the right demographic there. Um, it's so strange, though. It's like, to me, it feels like uh, most of these people are like obsessed with social media and networking and marketing, but it's very difficult to find like a room for like down to earth, you know, conversation about, you know casual stuff i think it's a lot of it's a lot of business and it's yeah. right now maybe since there's this hype it's not so uh, casual or down to earth i would say well i mean i can identify with that because i mean when i started when i started my podcast right i thought well i gotta keep it on message i gotta keep it about history i gotta keep it about covid and then i was like why why do i have to do that what's the why can't I have a conversation about uh, like I had a conversation with the guy that runs the blog for my favorite soccer team, for example. Um, I had a conversation with uh, this other guy in California about Mexican food, right? You know what I'm saying? Like why, why do I have to be educated? Why do I have to be strictly educational all the time? Why can't I just have, conversations um i think it yeah i think it comes down to what your goal is and i was actually today when i was in this podcasting room i hope i pronounce his name right his name is like mark savant or savant or he's like um he has some channels about podcasting and basically he was the one who said like you need to provide a Clear, like your podcast should provide a clear solution to a problem. Having a casual conversation may be fun, but what people usually want to hear is some kind of a solution, right? So going back to what you just said, I think it depends on what your goal is. And I can imagine a lot of people want to grow as fast as possible, right? So they're going to choose topics that are, you know, widely discussed. Right. And I don't think heavy metal is a part of that. <laughs> heavy metal is not the most popular topic to talk about nowadays. So it's all about your what your goals are and what, what, what you want to get out of it. OK, I don't have my metrics in front of me right now. And I know you have to go, so I don't want to dig through them. But I stumbled on this by accident. I stumbled on what I just told you by total accident. I ended up doing a podcast that did not go in the direction I thought it went. I thought it should go, but I thought it was interesting enough to release. And I was astounded at the numbers it got. Okay. Okay. So my pushback to Mark Savant or Savant or however you say his (laughs) name is, um, I think, like, okay, if you go on YouTube, right, so if you're like everybody alive now remembers a time when 
when media was big, was only big, okay? And big media said you have to categorize things, right? And big media said you had to be, had to have production value, et cetera, right? Um, I, you can go on YouTube and find people that are doing things like cooking food in their dishwasher. And, and they have, <laughs> I'm, Come on. I'm, I would watch I'm, that. <laughs> I'm serious. There, There's a guy on YouTube who cooks food in his dishwasher. That's what he's doing. He's boiling food in, in his dishwasher, and he has millions of views, literally millions. Wow. That's crazy. I, I That's don't crazy. know. I, look, I, I can't explain it. I think, well, here I go. Here's my explanation. I think there's something where we just want to connect with a person, right? We just want to make a connection. And it doesn't have to be overproduced or have a high concept. But um, that's good news. That's really good news, Adam. Um, so we're going to go longer. <laughs> yeah, my but, pleasure. Uh, yeah. But I think there's this new um, thing where, because here's something that I did not realize as such until the pandemic, okay? And I'm somebody that I've gone to college in America, so I've known a lot of international people through college and stuff like that, okay? But what I didn't realize is how many people in this world are basically the same. Um, in you know what, what way? Saying? Yeah, I think I do, but like, in what way did you mean it? You okay. mean like at the core oh, or? Like, no, no, no. Um, here's, we just had this whole, in the beginning of our podcast, we just had this whole conversation about how you live in this whole other country where most people in my country have never even heard of. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you have a lot of the same problems around COVID that we have. Yeah. Or, okay, here's another thing. You like to play, mo you know, people in my country like to play mobile games. People in your country like to play mobile games. Or here's another thing, right? Here's another. And it gets more basic than that, right? Um, like, I, okay. I get what you're saying. I um, I think basically it's these things, these differences that we think we have don't really matter. I agree completely. Um, yeah. I think I think th this is uh, for, uh, and I mean this with no disrespect whatsoever. But I this is a very frequent reaction that I see, especially from people from the U.S. Maybe you know because. For example, you know, in Europe, you go to another country, the language is going to be different, you know, completely different. Uh, the culture is going to be completely different. Uh, it's going to be a whole different. It's 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 not like going from you know from 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 Florida to Georgia, you know, like maybe you know the cust, you know. I think the language is the same, you know, and you you're not going to have this culture shock. So I think in general, where I am from. We are more used to that. So knowing these cultural differences, you also start to observe what's more, what's common, right? 
And yeah, right. Th- th- this is why. This is why. And again, I mean, no disrespect. I think it's not so common in the U.S. Right, because you're basically you're a very very large, well, continent. Yeah, you know what I mean. We are you're a very large country. We are a continental country. We really are. I mean, it's it's a whole continent. Yeah, but I mean, if you wanna, I'm not talking about you know Latin America, but let's say I don't think uh, a, a lot of people have the opportunity to travel as much. You know what I mean? It's a it's a bigger de- it's a we don't have a train system that's really good in this country that goes from that's good. That's really good. Um, so it's not as easy to travel Mm -hmm. and it's also like it used to be almost before I, well, not before I was born, but like 20 years ago. Right. So it's more expensive to travel now than it was 20 years ago really yeah more expensive it's more expensive well not only is it more expensive but also the salaries in this country have basically stayed the same despite inflation for i forget how many years but it's been years years okay years years. i had no idea um and what about like you know cheap air like in europe we have ryanair like, and you can you know this uh, this this company? Yeah, Is there like- I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Like- there used to be um, I, there used to be a company called Value Jet and a JetBlue. I think JetBlue kind of took it took it over or whatever. But there you know there's cheap there's cheaper airfare. But the trouble is you get into the whole like a lot of people in this country. You can't really take time off work. Oh man, that's yeah, that sucks. A, a lot of people really can't take, and a, a whole lot of people in this country work like two and three jobs. There's a whole lot of folks in this country that work about two and three jobs just to keep it together. Um. um. So. Yeah, I think this is for a whole different conversation. But for example, to me, this is um, I'm not very familiar with this. Um, maybe it's me. Maybe uh, and may, it may be I don't, more common in, in the states. But I mean, they, for sure, I know people who have you know you have two part time jobs when maybe you're a student or whatnot. But you're not the first person to mention this, and I think it, to me it just sounds. A, I don't want to use the term foreign. Because I know people who do that here in uh, in Europe, and I lived in a couple of countries, so it's not just you know Slovakia or Spain. I also lived in the Netherlands, and I was in living in England for a while. So, yeah. but are, are you saying it's more common than what I'm say, what I'm thinking? Or because- I, I don't. Well, I don't know how common it is, but it, it it would it's. I guarantee you, it's more common than a lot of people realize. And what do you think? Country. What do you think is the reason? Is it the lack of rising salaries or is the standard of living that high in the states or is it the cost well not the standard of living but the cost of living the cost of living in the in this country um is is pretty high um it's also so we've had okay we've had uh, 
Let me count. Uh, at least two. At least two. Uh, economic disasters, including this one. We've had at least two economic disasters. Uh, our country never really recovered from the disaster of two thousand eight. Yeah, never actually recovered from that. Yeah. Um. You know. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Uh, one of yeah, the, sure. uh, w- w- you know, when I, let's say, when I move to a different country and let's say I'm looking for a job or I'm about to accept a job offer, you know, one of the first things you do is you want to know how much will that salary, like what kind of standard of living will I be able to afford with that salary? Okay. So for example, you know, uh, countries in the, in the North, like, you know, Nordics, Sweden, Finland, uh, Denmark, Norway, they tend to have what you call a a, a very, you know, high level of, let's say, welfare state, but their taxes are insane, you know? So your salary on paper may look high, but it's actually, it's going to be taxed like crazy. And of course, you're going to have a whole different level of, you know, uh, rent, than, for example, what you may have in a different country. So the first thing you do when you move to a different country is ask, what kind of standard of living am I going to be able to afford with this? And one of the most common replies I see from Americans is that they're surprised at how low the European salaries are in general compared to the ones in the States. But then there is the other part of the formula is, Exactly what I'm saying is how much, like, what kind of standard of living are you able to afford with this salary? And that's like, can I ask you a question? Like, what would you say as, let's say, like the average, like, good salary in America yearly in dollars? Okay. What would you say is a well, good salary when you when you talk about America? Okay, let's let's say this. When you talk about America. You can't talk about America the way you talk about, let me think of a, like the Netherlands, right? Or like England or like some small country, right? Because the fact is that you can have, you can take some money in one part of the country and your standard of living or your, your, the way you live, the way in which you live is going to be vastly different. Yeah, uh, of course. I mean, you're going to have those... Where that is. You're going to uh, have, like, but, local differences. Yeah. Yeah. And those local differences can be pretty steep. I mean, they can be mm-hmm. very steep, very different. Um, the main... I would, I, would say, I would tell you there's two main issues that you have to think about. Uh, when you think about the cost of living in this country. Um, the one main issue is most people in this country, well, there's three, really. One main issue is that you have to have a car. In, okay. in this country, for, the, for most people, you have to have a car. There, there is no public transportation to speak of. Uh, that's, you know, and you can argue whether or not that's by design and who designed that and all like that. There's another issue of healthcare. 
that healthcare in this country is the cost of healthcare in this country is insane. Uh, it literally, I saw the figure recently. It's literally like most of our, a huge chunk of our economy is actually taken up by healthcare. A massive chunk of our economy is taken up by our healthcare system. Um, you also have this problem, and it's a big problem in this country, of you can have a pretty decent job that doesn't provide health insurance. And you need health insurance in this country because we don't have uh, what we call government-controlled health care. And, you know, we, mm-hmm. have the AC, we have the Affordable Care Act, but that's, you know, a private public scheme. That's not um, what you call the state does not say here here's a health here's a health plan okay because our healthcare system is on a public private is on a, a for-profit model for the most part uh your hospitals are moving to major cities mm-hmm. like your hospitals are in major cities so like you can be in a rural area and you can be hours from a hospital hours and hours from the hospital. Um, I talked to a man living in South Carolina and he told me that when he got out of town, like once he gets out of his little town, the quality of the roads go down. Like the quality of the roads go down to the point where it's, it's the road is, is crumbling, literally mm-hmm. crumbling. Um, so, and what I've learned, what I've basically learned from doing my podcast about my own country is that we live in two different Americas. Like there's, when you say America, right, we live in two different countries, basically. One country is this first world country, but you still have to pay for it. Like you, you're on, you know, you still have to pay the bills or pay the whatever, the other country is, is this country that is rapidly deteriorating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rapidly deteriorating. That, that, that's, and, so, that's so interesting. Yeah. And here I am. I live in America. And I, I you know, I, I wouldn't have known, like, I would not have known that. I would not have known to the extent that my country is, the countryside of my country is, falling apart literally Mm -hmm. falling apart Mm -hmm. um you know i get you uh this is so interesting honestly i think you know the funny thing is like you mentioned this is the second time we're recording together and we wanted to talk about metal but it always (laughs) comes down to you know talking about culture and our differences and what we have in common and I think this is so cool, you know. Bless you for that. I think this is a great talk, and it's it's a great podcast for this reason. I um, I really enjoy talking to you, but um, well, to give a little perspective, I it's so interesting. I think you know the problem with public transport. I think is a, a huge one, and I completely can relate because in Slovakia the public transport is kind of shit, and here you need a car. 
Okay, it's I mean you don't need it, need it, you can get by, but if you want to get a bike comfortably, you want a car. Whereas when I was in Spain or the Netherlands or any other country really, the public transport was golden. That was actually mm. one of the things I enjoyed the most. And I actually sold my car while I was away. Now I came back to Slovakia and I have no car, you know. And it's like, oh man, I really I really don't miss it. I don't want to drive around, you know. Um, but the, the second problem that you were mentioning, the hospitals, uh, the Slovak public healthcare is kind of shit. Um, but you can get like treatment. Um, they're not going to let you, they're not going to let you bleed out on the street. Um, the thing is that it's not for profit. As you say, the level of investment is close to zero that they get. Right. So it's outdated. They, have, they, they don't have the most modern stuff and so on and so forth. And my question to you, is, to you Ben, is as a citizen, okay, let's say that yeah. uh, you have a job, but you don't have the health insurance, right? right. So, or healthcare coverage. Coverage, is that how you call it? That's, that's what we would, that's the word is that we would use is healthcare coverage, yeah. Okay, so if you get, you know, Common sickness, okay? Let's say you get the flu or anything, really. And you don't have the health care coverage. What do you do? Nobody goes to the hospital for the flu. Yeah, but no, yeah. not the hospital, but I mean, the, what about the doctor? Well, nobody, okay. Or anything there, common. You know, there's that, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of people in this country who talk about how uh, they've got this problem or that problem, and they they just don't want to go talk about it. They don't want to go look at it. They don't want to go see about it or whatever. One of the reasons, and this is one of the crazy things that that goes down, is because you have your health care from your employer. Okay, the court system in this country has ruled that your employer has access to your health records no way because they have access to your insurance so i know people like i know people who won't go to the doctor for this and that because they don't want their employer to know about it i mean i, I know people like that um which gets me to another problem that i run into as a podcaster um but let me deal with your question first so in order to have, in order for you to go to the hospital in this country, unless you're very lucky, unless you have like a, a pension, a, a, like some kind of healthcare situation, and you're in a secure job, a whole lot of people just don't want to deal with it. Um, you know, um, my sister is a nurse, and she'll tell you. There's, there's some people that she had to deal with a guy who he had COVID and he had to have his foot removed from COVID, um, you know, because of the, uh, he just didn't go to the hospital for it because, okay. you know, because of the insurance. Well he, well, he didn't have insurance, but because he didn't have insurance, he had to have his foot removed from COVID. Um, you know, um, but one of the problems I've noticed as a podcaster talking to Americans is people in this country are terrified of their HR department. 
They're literally terrified of their HR department. Because, like, you can say the wrong thing, and you're on the internet, and you can say the wrong thing, and, and man, they'll fire you for this or that or, or whatever reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then your health care goes away, etc. So yes. your, your money goes away or whatever. And, you know, right now, I looked it up the other day. Uh, the labor force participation rate in this country is right now today at 51%, which is pretty low. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before the pandemic, it wasn't that. It was like in the 60s. It was like 67, 68. So, you know, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I do. I do. It's 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 crazy, yeah. honestly. Um, it is know, crazy. It's literally insane. <laughs> one of the things I would like to go back back to is you mentioned that because your um, employer or a lot of the employers in America, you know, provide uh, health care coverage to their employees. And but that way they have access to your health records. Uh, did I say that right? Yeah, okay. it's weird. It's weird how they they rigged it. It's like you can't. Mm. It's well. It's weird. It's like you. It's like I can't look. At, like if I was your boss, right? I wouldn't be able to look at your health records. But somehow, like your company could look at what you were paying for. Okay. Do you see wow. Like um, I, I don't know exactly how it works, but like somehow your company would be able to look at, oh, well, you paid for this, you mm-hmm. paid for that, you used the insurance to pay for this. Yeah, I guess I can kind of understand uh, both sides. Um, maybe uh, the right, you know, the idea there is that the employer wants to check where his money goes, right? So you're not the the employees are not misusing this. On the other hand. I was just talking to a good friend of mine. She is a lawyer in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam. And we were talking about when you have to take a sick leave, you usually have to, like in my country, you need to get a doctor's note, right? You need to get a recommendation from a doctor. And he says, yeah, like this guy needs like a couple of days off. Uh, and she told me like, no, this would not be legal in the Netherlands. Um, like this is confidential information. Your health is your own business. There's definitely no doctor's notes going to the employers unless they have their in-house doctor, which then would be, um, like he would be able to say like, yeah, this guy's sick. He, you know, he should not work. But I guess there's also a limitation on on how much information he can like expose. So, yeah. like, take this with a pinch of salt. This is not my knowledge. She just told me this, but I understand the rationale, right? Like, I mean, your health is your private stuff. Like, you don't want to share that, right. right? So, I find this. I did not know this, and like, I find it a little little scary, uh, to be honest with you. Well, part of the problem, um, part of the problem, if you think back historically, right, um, is that our current uh, what what uh, social safety net, for lack of a better way to say it, um, was 
in some ways torn down by the conservative movement in this country. Okay. And in other ways, another problem in this country is that it's not a problem as much as it is just the fact of the matter, right? The fact of the reality of the situation. Um, when you say that America has the second largest economy in the world, uh, right? That's true, and there are places in this country that have big, booming economies, for sure. For sure, for sure. Um, but there are a lot more places that don't, right? Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of places in this country that don't. And so one of the problems... I hesitate to use the word problem. Uh, one of the underlying situations, say is that people, right? So the prosperity isn't geographically equal. It's not just that it's not equal among the people. It's not geographically equal. So you can live somewhere where, okay, I'll give you an example. Like you can live somewhere where we're having this debate in this country. It's not even really a debate because Nobody really thinks right now this is going to go anywhere, but there's a group of people and there's a big group of people in this country that, that want to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, where I live, I could see where that would work. I'm not saying it would or wouldn't. I'm saying I could see where it would work, but I can go to other places in this country where not only would a $15 minimum wage not work, it would be a disaster. It would be and an absolute disaster. You're talking specifically in the U.S., right? In, in the U.S. Okay, because yeah. that's a, a lot of money. I'm not saying it's, it's, you're going to become the next Rockefeller with $15 but, an hour, but it's... And that, that's exactly right. You're exactly... And that's kind of one of the... That's sort of one of the things in this country that we don't really talk about out loud, okay? That $15 an hour for a whole lot of jobs is an awful lot of money. And what you may end up doing from that is automating those jobs out of existence. Right? You see what I'm saying? I do. Yep. Like, and I'm not saying, okay, I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm not saying I'm for it. Right? In an ideal world, I would like the $15 minimum wage to exist so everybody can have a better standard of living, for mm -hmm. sure. But I'm saying there are real problems to that. I'm saying there are real, honest to God problems. Like, you can't. I don't want to say can't. I, I want to say that I think Walmart could afford to pay somebody $15 an hour. Uh, I don't know that they would, but I think they could, right? Um, but I don't know that a small diner could do that, right? 
Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Um, especially like a small diner in a small town that's dying anyway. Like the town itself is going away. Um, because one of the things in this country, like one of the things right now happening in this country is I just read the article the other day. There's uh, more as a country, we're buying more food that requires that we cook it than we've bought in quite a while. So what people are starting to wonder is are when we come out of this pandemic and businesses decide that we can work from home now, right? The businesses decide that we can work from home. So why do we have an office, right? Is the restaurant industry dying? Is the restaurant industry going to change? Um, I don't know the answer to that. And I also don't know if, I mean, the narrative in this country is that this will be over by 2022. I don't know that it will. I sincerely doubt that. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I very much doubt that. Well, right. I'm not trying to be negative, but... <laughs> I don't no, see that I mean, happening. We're being honest. We're, we're we're just two people being honest here. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right. yeah. Wow. So again, we talked about a whole lot of stuff. You know, culture, politics, mm. uh, economy. Didn't touch about heavy metal, and that's okay. No. Because I like this okay. kind of, I like these organic kind of conversations. Always super interesting. Oh, oh it's it very is. interesting, very enlightening. It is. It is. So, Adam. Um, okay, right now it's probably almost nine o'clock where you live. Uh, is there anything you'd like to tell the internet uh, on this one of the biggest podcasts that isn't about sex or murder? <laughs> Well, there's just one thing better than sex and murder, and that's heavy metal. So <laughs> listen to more metal, people, you know. Listen, nah, to metal. listen to more metal. Now, nah, I just want to thank you for the invitation, and I want to say uh, right. hello all right. to all of your listeners, and I hope that all of you are safe and you're all doing fine, and, you know, no matter how okay. tough times can get, just keep your head high. It'll be over uh, soon. Okay. Let me hang on the line while this thing downloads. It's going to take a while. Okay. Take a while. All right, everybody. Uh, goodbye. Uh, thank you for listening. <laughs>